I'm Sarah and I am the chair of Coventry Cultural Education Partnership and I'm also the director of Highly Sprung, a small arts organisation based in Coventry and committed to children and young people's development. And you are listening to CSEP's brilliant podcast, a podcast brought to you by CSEP, the Coventry Cultural Education Partnership. And for those of you who don't know or who are asking what is CSEP, well, it's a group of brilliant people committed to children and young people in Coventry. And we work with an even more brilliant collection of cultural champions in schools, arts organisations and the heritage and culture sector across the city to ensure that every child and young person in Coventry has the opportunity to experience cultural learning opportunities that enable them to flourish, to thrive and to be optimistic about their futures. We've created this podcast series to bring together some brilliant people to talk about some of our most important topics, to better connect teachers, creatives, cultural organisations and more, to allow us to be inspired, to learn and to grow from each other. These podcasts have been made to celebrate some of the work that's happening in Coventry, but we're sure that the themes and topics that we're going to discuss are going to be relevant across the sector nationally. We're going to hear from a panel of experts discussing their experiences in education, from their major successes right through to the mistakes they've learned from, so that we can all be more brilliant, spread our impact further and help make children's lives better. In today's episode, our guests will be discussing the subject of the environment and sustainability and how we're working in partnership to engage children and young people in an issue that can sometimes feel a bit overwhelming or disempowering. We're looking at how arts and culture can play a role in engaging children and young people to think about what they can do to make real change. We hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned to the end to find out how you can get involved in helping us to make sure that Coventry is a place where all children and young people can be brilliant. Well, hello, everybody, and thank you so much for coming today. It's really exciting to see such brilliant people in the room. So can we just have a little bit of an introduction to see who we've got today? Uh, So I'm Cathy Leahy, and I'm an associate uh, producer and director with Imagineer Productions, um, which is a large arts organisation based in the city who focus on outdoor work mainly. Hi, I'm Anna Bright, Chief Executive at Sustainability West Midlands. We're an independent not-for-profit that's been going for 21 years. We're based in Birmingham, but we cover the whole of the region, so including Coventry and Warwickshire, and we're doing lots of work on sustainability and creativity. I'm Don Bredmore. I'm co-artistic director at Ludicrums, and we um, are an arts and technology organisation based by the Canal in Coventry. Fantastic. And I think uh, we're all here today to talk about the work that we've been doing that connects arts, culture and how we engage with the environment. So um, with a particular lens on how we're engaging young people and children into that work. CSEP have just launched their green strategy. So over the next three years, we're really going to be focused on what environment and sustainability mean to the futures of young people so how investment in and engagement in the environment really helps us to lay the foundations for better futures for our young people so we thought it would be really important to have an opportunity to talk to people like yourselves who are really involved in some of those really key projects where young people are engaged in the environment to just find out what's going on and how it's being done brilliantly so One of the 
places I wanted to start was to talk about how your work kind of changed course potentially or how it became focused in on sustainability and the environment. So there must have been a moment as an arts organisation or at the beginning of Sustainability West Midlands where it became an organisation where that became a focus, almost like that moment where Alice in Wonderland sees the rabbit hole and her curiosity kind of drives her down for an amazing adventure. So I'm just really interested to hear how that came about in your work. So I think as artists, um, often when you hear people say they work with technology, you get this perception that people, it's always about the newest toy and try and having the highest tech gear and uh, and um, I think for us we've always had an element of trying to make the best use of the the wombly things that other people have left behind and partly that's pragmatic we can't afford the big fancy stuff but also um, we uh, I think there is a thing about getting under the hood and understanding how tech works that just helps you live a better life in the 21st century because um, you're surrounded by this stuff all of the time. And so I think maybe that idea of repurposing the old, continuing things use um, outside of its normal purpose is was sort of probably the route into us doing the majority of the work that's focused on, quote unquote, you know, the environmental sustainability. That's always been the angle we've kind of come from. We are often found rummaging in skips or receiving emails from people say, I found this in the back of the cupboard. And um, and so, yeah, that's probably the starting point for us. Yeah, so you kind of realised that recycling and reusing was kind of core to your organisation. Yeah, and then, and then as an extension of that, like it, that also becomes part of the aesthetic of your work or the identity, what, what you're known for, what people see. So it becomes part of the sort of conversation or, or, or of, of everything you do because it, it's what people come to expect when they come to an LR thing that we've made, whatever it is. And a lot of your work has kind of graduated to actually engaging in nature. So was there a kind of a bridge there that kind of took you outside as well? Um, so... <laughs> That was a really, really boring practical decision that we made was um, we've been based in the Canal Basin Warehouse since our inception. I've had a studio there since 2006. And for the first 10 years of our existence, this there wasn't really any appetite for making this sort of work in Coventry. And we were working all over the, the country and internationally on commissions. And then partly as part of the cultural strategy work that was happening and then ultimately the city of cultural bid work that was happening. we And also, I think what was happening in our lives at that time, we kind of went, right, we want to just focus our energy on Coventry for a while. And if we were going to do that, where's it going to be? Well, it's going to be the, the thing that's closest to home, which is by the water. And we already had some sort of relationship with Canal and River Trust. So it came through a really boring route of just the water's right there outside our studio space. So obviously, if we're going to work in Coventry, that was where we would start. And everything spans from there. Really. And I think you hit upon something really interesting there. You said it might have been about what was happening in our lives. And I wonder... Anna and Kathy, whether that has been an influence in your choices about the, the work that you do, whether the influences of how we're understanding the environmental sort of crisis that I suppose we're, we're facing has had an influence on how your work has been shaped. 
I think um, for Imagineer, it's always been in, in our work somewhere, but it's been more, how do I say, more haphazardly there. When we've been working with children, young people and our volunteers and many participants, the projects have always had themes, um, environmental themes, or we've been looking at sustainable uses, same as Don. We've, we have a lot of materials. We're looking, what can we reuse? What can we repurpose? Um, but the opportunity of redeveloping our building has enabled us to have a reset, a massive reset. And really, now we're developing our environmental sustainability, climate change kind of strategy, um, looking at how do we embed that in everything. So it's embedded in the planning stage right from the beginning. So it's not an add-on. It doesn't become an add-on. Um, personally, and the project, one of the projects we were engaged with during um, City of Culture, it started uh, with a conversation with the Marine Institute in Ireland and the watching of a film during lockdown, which Sylvia Earle was like, a, he was a real champion in terms of ocean protection and ocean um, um, issues and ocean wealth kind of really prompted me to think, no, we have to do more. I think as an organisation, we've we've decided that this is, there is only one issue, really. There is only one planet. And this is, you know, this is the, you know, all our work must focus on that going forward. So um, I think we've always been looking at environmental sustainability and um, working with our participants our, uh, through our education work and through the work that we present. And we've always been conscious about how can we make that better? How can we lower our carbon footprint? But we've never really embedded it. And so it's really been through combination of lockdown and, you know, being able to reset starting this building. So that's what we're, you know, looking at now. Yeah. And it might have been slightly different for you, Anna, because obviously you are the chief executive of an organisation which is entirely like functions around helping other people to be more sustainable. So I just wondered how you came into that role. Yeah, so I think um, growing up, my family, you know, we had quite a sustainable, I suppose, um, approach to life. And being very honest, it wasn't because necessarily of the environmental credentials. It was because it was cheaper to, you know, to sort of live that way. So we never had a car. We got around, um, you know, on bicycles and on foot, which at the time I absolutely despised. <laughs> but looking back, I think, you know, that was set me on a really good sort of path, really. Um, and, you know, things like buying clothes and other items from charity shops, that was just what we did. So I think that's where my passion and belief in it all comes from. Um, I then was really fortunate to go to uni and study environmental biology, absolutely loved it. And I've had a career in the sector ever since. Um, Organisationally, I think, I mean, the name of our company says it all really, Sustainability West Midlands. So we've been going for 20 years, but it's been quite uh, an interesting path. So, you know, at the start of our establishment, I mean, we're still small now, but we were really small, just, you know, a team of two or three people. And actually, it was a really hard sell. You know, people, really, they sort of said, why do we need to think about this? This, you know, this isn't core to our organisation. And really, it's only the last three to four years that I'd say that People really want to, you know, to find out what they can do. And we've certainly seen a lot more interest from creative arts, cultural organisations, both as members of our organisation, but also in terms of our project work. So, yeah, I think picking up on your point, Dom, it, it's the last sort of few years, really, that it's it's just escalated and it's, it's caught to most organisations now. 
Yeah. I think it's not an easy topic and I, I think a lot of us engage with children and young people and there is a fear that if we're providing that message of crisis and we hear that word used quite a lot or disaster and change and some of those words I think sometimes can feel quite intimidating yet we've all chosen to kind of focus our energies into thinking about how our work can can make a change and make a po more positive difference to this crisis. So I just think it'd be really interesting to hear how you are starting to think about engaging that um, sort of children and young people in thinking about how the arts and culture can really play a part in helping them to better understand and to perhaps feel more empowered about the change that they can make. Um, I think um, I'll use two, two examples. One... Um, when, when we delivered FLOW, so FLOW was an acronym, <laughs> it stood for Future Life of Our Ocean's Wealth. And the project um, was really about how do we engage people in a landlocked city with ocean protection and ocean wealth? It's a huge topic. And obviously, there's, there was all that messaging out there about, you know, how it's a crisis. But within that, what can everybody do? What can every individual do? So um, the project had three parts. And the first part was about working with, we worked with eight classes of year fives. It, it was one academy um, across five schools. And the project was really about how do we inspire them to then want to actually go out and take action, make a change, create their own work that actually carries a message of what we can all do. So that was our our take on it that actually it's about what we can do rather than we know what's happening we don't want to do work about just what's happening you know um, I think that's out there so that's kind of where where we head with all of the I think all of the work it's about what can we do to make that difference and it's about taking it down to really simple levels so in our environmental sustainability policy the first part of that is really about how do we do effective training with all of our staff, all our volunteers, our board, our participants that actually allow them to kind of experience and think about the changes they can make in our building and then from our building in our work and then when we take our work out, out to that work. So it's not about giving lots of information and facts and figures. It's about actually the little small things that they can do. So I think... Um, that's how we approach the work with children as well. Something that you were just saying about, um, uh, I'm of that age where I grew up as well of, you know, we didn't have central heating, we didn't have cars, we didn't have telephones. And and we're kind of like looking back at that whole make, make do and mend, repurpose. Uh, when we run Imaginarium sessions and people come in, for young people it's about discovering how things work, you know, how you can make things and and that's about using their their imagination and their uh, and then their skills in a different way other than just expecting something to be there and trying to get away from that fast world where everything is just thrown away. But I think it's it's more uh, yeah it's more about the action. It's more about leading them to um, decide themselves what they can do about the situation, but also giving them the tools to do that and uh, kind of breaking it down so it doesn't seem like a big. Uh, you know, something that's overwhelming that they can't do anything about. Amazing. And Anna, your Sustainability West Midlands has been involved in the Unboxed, which has been a kind of a nationwide creative programme, and you've led on sustainability across that programme. I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how you've worked on that programme and, and how you've dealt with that issue of how are we actually engaging young people and the public more generally in, in those big issues? 
Yeah, absolutely. So across 2022, we were working with Unboxed as their independent sustainability advisor. So in a critical friend role, if you like. And I think that, I mean, all 10 of the commissions, you know, had fantastic engagement with young people. But there are a few that I thought were particularly outstanding when it comes to sustainability. So um, the Pollinations event, which was in Birmingham, all about bringing young people and all sorts of uh, people closer to nature so, you know, there were, I don't know if you were able to visit, but there were, it was structural plants and flowers which were collecting rainwater to then actually um, irrigate the real plants, flowers, which were there to attract biodiversity. So the whole concept of the, you know, the um, the programme was about nature and biodiversity and there was a great outreach programme with children. Um, another example there was the dandelion workup in Scotland, which was all about growing your own food um, and the whole cycle of growing and again, loads of uh, young people involved with that. So there were some really good examples across the 10 unboxed on commi- uh, commissions on sustainability, creativity and young people. So loads to learn from that. And that's something that we try and encourage through all of our projects is bringing in stakeholders, whether it's young people, your employees um, and giving them a voice because I think that helps with that feeling of we're in a crisis what do we do if you feel like you your voice is heard um, and you're being listened to it it helps definitely I had the great privilege of attending a ludic rooms event that took me along the canal um, in a, a nighttime environment and the whole canal was lit up and was interactive with technology in ways that I couldn't even have anticipated. And I I think, Dom, for me, that was a really interesting way because it didn't necessarily make me think about the environment specifically, but I think there must have been something that that you were intending to do that was about how we are engaging more with nature. Yeah, I think, well, we... um, Our neighbours in the canal warehouse to the Mercia Canoe Club and I canoe very much in a very fair weather way on holiday with my family sometimes, but I'd never, it had never really occurred to me to go and canoe in the canal, despite having had a studio there for 15 years or whatever it was. But when we started embarking on this work, uh, we, when we're designing work, thing, the things that we do with people for Ludicrums, um, we always think about what the invitation is. Like that's the starting point, whether it's a workshop or a performance, or like what are we inviting people to um and um you, you, if you invite people to a fight they're going to turn up ready to to fight you know um and so i think it's really a particular problem with this tone of working with environmental contexts because if you just come in and go the world's on fire the world's on fire we've got to fight this um then are, it's definitely going to drive conversation but is it going to drive positive action um and so we broadly speaking try and work in an optimistic way um, and just keep that to the tones optimistic. Um, we can change this. We can be a part of doing stuff big and small that can that can actually have an impact on this. Um, and we do a lot of things about imagining the near future um, because if you invite people not to just moan about what something used to be like, but instead imagine what it might be like in the future, whether that's in five years, 10 years, 100 years, um, I think that invitation 
in a positive and optimistic way is sort of naturally empowering. Mm. And what we found when we were doing the canal stuff is we just needed to experience this space in, in the ways that we were going to invite others to do it. If we were going to try and invite members of the public to do stuff and we, we had to kind of step up to the plate ourselves. And so we just went out canoeing a few times with the club during the day and the conversation sort of turned to, well, do you ever go out at night? And I've, I know that you're not allowed to take motorboats out at night. You know, there's a general rule on the, the canal that after dark because of moored boats, it disturbs them. But this it's not true for canoes and we just started this conversation and then worked in partnership with the canoe club to create a few experiments to see what it might be like but it was a perfect example right of when we went out for the first time just at night we were so struck by the whole body experience of being there through that bridge out into this willow tree glass like black water and we were like Anything we do to this, whether it's performance, whether it's music, whether it's light, it's going to ruin it a little bit. Like every, <laughs> everything <laughs> we add to this is just going to make, has the potential to make this at this little tiny bit less magnificent than it already is. Um, so, yeah, we had to think about that again. What's that invitation? What we ask? And just that very humbling experience of being down at water level in the quiet um, was... A great starting point to and we talk about connecting with the with outdoor environments or being you know having more access to green spaces there's lots of these buzz buzzwords we see in the press a lot at the moment but i think that that hands in the dirt moment or my thighs are damp <laughs> moment um yeah they can be really powerful and even though we work with technology we try and work in a very human way to think about that whole body experience. Yeah. And you've just reminded me of my particular highlight that you afforded me was going out on a canoe at night with my kids <laughs> and you gave us little tails on our canoes that lit up in magical rainbow colours. And I remember shouting very loudly, I'm a water unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I absolutely, you know, did feel that and it was, it was very powerful and I, and I hope you... In your project, you gave many, many young people that opportunity to really engage in, in nature in a very um, tangible and tactile way. But I think we have to admit that working um, and, and trying to engage people in the topic of the environment also brings with it some challenges. And I, I'm just really interested to hear if there are particular challenges that you've um, come up against and, and, and how you've kind of dealt with them to make sure that your projects are still having the impacts that you've imagined they would? So we work with a lot of different partners and um, stakeholders. So we were working with Warwickshire Wildlife Trust, um, Canal and Rivers Trust, um, businesses, um, the Academy. We had very little time to, to plan because of where funding came, hit all of those usual things. First of all, we went in and worked with um, all of the schools, the teachers, and asked what did they want out of the, you know, what were their challenges? And that was really key so that we, although we had a shaped project, we tried to bespokely meet the needs of each of the different schools. And also what, did, what was the outcome they wanted? As well as we were kind of, you know, the provocation was to, uh, to inspire children to then go and create their own work that would carry a message to their own communities. Would that be the schools, their parents, their, you know, their local community? 
we worked with Warwickshire Wildlife just asking as well what did they what were they trying to um, achieve what was their in, what did they their engagement was the, the biggest thing and their capacity to deal with that and then Canal and Rivers Trust the same and about you know what could we do together that would bring about you know some of their outcomes so that was the starting point and then for the eight classes for the groups of young people we did a, a kind of intervention where all of the learning we decided would be outdoors, all of it, except when they came to our space, um, the Daimler Powerhouse, which we created this thing called the Imaginarium, um, which allows them to in, to imagine, make, and then hopefully inspire. So we sailed into the school playground with a ship. and um, That must it was, have been challenging just in That itself. was challenging. So uh, this ship appeared in the uh, playground and we realised that for... There's a lot of children in Coventry, including myself, whose roots have, have been travelling across the ocean to get here, you know, um, whose heritage has uh, been across the ocean. So so this ship appeared. It was powered by cycles and uh, there was these three characters and there was a performance which was interactive. The premise was this captain had lost their way, needed to navigate back to the ocean because they were carrying this um, message around and picking up crew members who also had urgent messages about um, what was happening. So uh, we had one one crew member come from the South Pacific and it was about the islands, the effect that the world was having on their island. Um, and another person was from India and it was the effect that, you know, um, pollution and the gyro and all of this. So year five suspended their belief. It was really important to, we're artists, it was about being creative and about engaging them in an imaginative way, but with real issues. We'd worked with our volunteer Monday night makers through lockdown to design all of this and to, to make it. And then when we came out of lockdown, they carried on making all of the kind of props and everything else. So this is an adult group who were then engaged with the project as well. They started the project. And then we built curriculum. Uh, we built activities around the curriculum with the teachers that would engage outdoor learning. So that's challenging, but it's also exciting. And the children really responded to that because everything was physical and it ranged from compass reading to maths to making hydro water wheels to all of this kind of thing, exploring power. And then um, the quest was to discover this map of Coventry, Sherborne, which was a sail. So they used their compass reading in the afternoon to find this thing that was located around the school. And then the captain could go to the river, sail back down, all rivers lead to the ocean, that kind of thing. So that was that. Then they came to the Imaginarium. And then we also did, with Warwickshire Wildlife, we were trained to go out and... Um, take all the children to the water and test pH levels to do kick sampling, to do scavenger hunts. So that was more uh, a different form of learning. We discovered that all of the teachers could learn this. It's not, it wasn't difficult. And what they, what they were saying was their challenge was their confidence in, you know, being able to do that kind of, um, you know, uh, learning outdoors. Um, and, and so it was, it was about if we could kind of make those, if we could get that link up, there could be far more of this because um, that's just where the gap was, you know. The challenges, I think, uh, with children, and uh, was, was uh, there was cultural challenges. There was a difference in, in what people wanted out of um, what they did. The challenges were the legacy, really, for, um, you know, how do you, once you've introduced or reintroduced um, young people to the parks or the areas or the wildlifing, how does that continue? Because we were working with, um, what's that, uh, eight, Lots. 240 <laughs> children, yeah. How do you maintain that? You know, it, um, how do you engage with their families so that 
continues to engage. So I think um, we found that the children had quite a good knowledge of the environment. Um, you know, they were aware of issues, but it was kind of that, yeah, it's that legacy and how do you carry on continuing to engage them? So, yeah, that was one of the big challenges. Yeah. Uh, Kathy mentioned earlier that, that you're, you know, you're developing your environmental policy and I think uh, your sustainability policy. And I think this is like a really practical thing that we're seeing as organisations. We're always being asked for these now and we never used to have to have them. So I think most companies are having this conversation in some way, shape or form because there's a policy requirement. No, we but, had one, but we're, we're re-looking oh, at well, it. Oh, sorry, yeah, it, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I, so we certainly didn't have one 10 years ago. And when you sit down and start thinking about writing a policy for how, as an organisation, you're going to change the world, you know, um, it can be very easy to feel completely overwhelmed by it. Um, and if if you start trying to if you really it's one of those things it's a bit like the number of stars in the sky if you think about it too hard it becomes completely impossible to comprehend or 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 learn about or, or investigate you have to start thinking about focusing on specific things specific actions that you can do rather than the huge chasm of stuff that you can't and and so for us, there's a few simple actions, and we so we the centre of our environmental sustainability policy we call single use practice, which is a lens that we just put over everything that we do, every purchase we make, every workshop decision, every time we're writing a funding bid, which just goes if there's stuff, if there's physical stuff involved in this, where's it coming from? And we've just chosen to focus on on that route of do we have to buy new stuff? How's it? Where's it come from? How's it being made? Can we repurpose? Is there another way of doing this? And we just focus on that, the new stuff coming in because we don't really get rid of stuff. I think once something's with us, we make a, we, we, we make a really good use of it and sticks with us for a long time. We repurpose, we drill, <laughs> break things apart, reuse them for other things. That, but I think the thing that we could change and impact upon and actually make a direct thing was every time something comes into the building almost. And that extends to people as well. You start thinking about how are people arriving um, at the studio? Are the people we're working with us already close to us or are they far away? And we're working now with the local authority to think about how how this converts into social action with, with, with the... Uh, because, Cathy, you mentioned, I don't think there's a problem with um, people's knowledge about issues with the environment particularly children the young people that we're working with i think it's covered in schools a lot primary and secondary from lots of different angles and like like people who we work with technology the number one challenge we face is not people's ability it's people's self-efficacy it's people's belief in themselves to do something not their actual ability to do it yeah. um so it comes back to that invitation again you know how do we invite people in a way that makes them feel like they have power that they have self-efficacy that they can do things and that is is small actions like we did a project for bristol 2015 so in 2015 it was european green capital um which is similar to the european capital of culture but for eco and we had a commission down there and it was the first time we had to think about okay how do i consciously and absolutely because this is going to be measured this is part of a very 
internationally visible green thing. We've got to be on top of what people are going to challenge us. So like, right, I'll ride around on a tricycle for six weeks. I'll gather broken toys. We'll lead workshops where we hack and repurpose toys and we do things all, all rooted around the stuff that people leave in their front gardens or, or the, the things that are broken or we do circuit bending and all sorts of different things. Um, but that was that perfect. We start to go, well, what are the measurements? What are the metrics that we're going to use to say, to measure whether something is environmentally sustainable or not? You've got to pick those metrics. Therefore, you've got to not pick some. And then also you immediately become really judgy. Like by nature, and this is the problem I have working with some organisations who have and have historically had sustainability absolutely in their core, if they're called that rather than products of just the 21st century life and having to have this as part of what we think about. But if it's right, in the, they often do feel a bit judgy because they're using these measurements. They're literally using measurements to, to, to sort of, decide they might not be the same measurements that you're using but the issue is so vast and it comes back to that same thing if you're invited to a fight you're going to come with your fists up whereas if you're invited in a sort of positive optimistic way in ways that you can manage maybe it's it's yeah. different i'm looking at you anna because <laughs> because i feel like as Sustainability West Midlands, perhaps you might be one of those organisations that is seen as a point of authority. And I wonder if one of the challenges that you might face is, is that people might feel intimidated rather than um, empowered by the work that you do and how you combat that. Oh, I really hope not, because <laughs> <laughs> um, one of our main you know, mechanisms of engaging people is telling positive stories. Um, so, yes, you know, we speak to organisations and they say, look, we know we need to do more, but it's scary. We don't know where to start. It's complex. And picking up on Dom's point around just pick one, two or maybe three priority areas Absolutely. You know, perhaps have a look at the sustainable development goals. There's 17 of them. They will not all be relevant to your organisation, but one or two will be. They can be your priorities and you can start to set the scene for more longer term change. Um, and absolutely learn from other people, you know. Other organisations will have perhaps tried different approaches that you can learn from. Sometimes they'll have been successful and you can learn from that and build on that. Sometimes they won't have, um, you know, come to fruition. But again, that learning is really, really useful. So I really hope we're not one of those judgy organisations, but we're really trying to use those positive examples to help other people on their journey mm. as well. I think I'd echo that, that that's what we're trying to do now. We're selecting because it's just, it's vast. So um, waste is one of ours, but the, the biggest challenge is to implement because we have a lot of um, participants, user groups. It's not just the staff. It's not just the artists who come in. It's a lot of uh, young people. So implementation, and that's what we're looking at, is that there must be better ways. So ours is make it creative, make it fun, so that people feel like they are doing something, that they are bringing the solutions, and then they engage with it. Because if you tell somebody to do something, well, we, we wouldn't do it. So, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's the implementation is probably the challenge. Yeah. So one of the most important things about the Cultural Education Partnership is the fact that we are focused on partnerships and the power of partnerships and the 
sort of breadth of ambition that you can have through partnership working. And I think in this context, I'm going to draw upon one of my own childhood loves, Captain Planet. And I mean, if you know Captain Planet, I hope you love Captain Planet. But Captain Planet only worked when a partnership came together. People from across the world representing different elements. There was, you can help me, Dom, Earth, Wind, Water, Fire yeah. and Heart. A heart. And they all had, did they have rings? Yeah. Or, yeah. And when all their powers combined, Captain Planet came into action and was able to do amazing things. Like I think I remember one episode where he saved some penguins. Yeah, it was it was always those. He was our hero. He was our hero, taking pollution down to, to zero. zero. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I wanted just for you to maybe each provide a top tip, just one top tip that you can think of about partnership working. You know, what what is the thing that we should all really remember when we enter into those partnerships with all those ambitions about the impacts that we can have? So I think for me, so I mean, partnerships and cross-sector working is at the core, at very core of what we do. You know, we are working across the public, private and the third sector. I think my top tip, and I know this can be difficult when it comes to, you know, sort of being open and honest, but I think the more open and honest and transparent you can be about your objectives, but also your challenges, the more effective your partnership is going to be. And I think, I know that can be tricky with competition and things like that, but I think if you can bring that in, it will be effective. One of the things I would say would be that it's not what you want to get out of it, it's what everybody wants to get out of it, that you want to have a common goal, but that every the partnerships that um, come together are all offering something towards that one goal, but there's something different. So you're not trying to just partner with people who are, can offer the same as you. And it's, a, it's about a respect that all of that kind of expertise or that whatever somebody is bringing, that you partner with people who have a similar ethos to you, but but you're all bringing something different because that's the, the joy of it and the beauty of it. Mm. Absolutely. And, and theory of change is quite helpful in that sense, isn't it, when you're working with partnership working? Because if you can collectively agree on that perhaps more global, broader umbrella goal that you're striving towards you're going to it's going to resonate with more of those partners and you can achieve that in in multiple different ways i think um for us when sort of divide, developing those partnerships it's definitely about recognizing there might be there's got to be lots of different routes for people to come in um and we try to have variability in also once they're in how deep they want to go so if if you're leading activity or starting conversation or running a project, there needs to be something for those people that just want to dip in for for 15 minutes. But what's also that offer for that person that might want to contribute more to that conversation? How do you how do you support that? Mm. And the other point is, I guess, we don't have a venue. Um, we have a studio space, but we can sort of relatively rarely invite people into that. Our stuff tends to happen out and about. But even the best venue-based organisations we've worked with to really embed themselves within a community or make meaningful long-time change, they start from the principle of you have to go to them Mm -hmm. rather than the starting principle of people will come to us. You Like if you were in a great institution or a building or or whatever it is, um, 
most of the time, if people come through the doors to you, you are going to have some sort of positive experience for sure. That, but that's not your challenge, really. The challenge is getting people through the door in the first place. Yeah. And if you remove that barrier and have the starting point, and if you have that openness when you're, in, when you're starting speaking to partners as well, it's like, no, we're not just talking about bussing your kids over to us or, or whatever it is. It's starting with that principle of, you know, we come to you just as much or, or we meet in the middle. But it's not it's not just constantly expecting it to be one way. Mm. So I have a final question for you all. And I'm hoping that this will be something really lovely to finish with, because all of us have spoken about the commitment that we have to working in partnership to make these changes or to activate engagement in some way. So I wondered if we could finish by all sharing a kind of a golden moment where you've seen that in practice, where you've seen someone who has been changed or where a light bulb has turned on for them in some way. Or it might be a much bigger collective moment where you've you've kind of like for me, Dom, the unicorn, water unicorn. I can't ever, you know, that will never leave me. So for me, that was a you know a really incredible moment. And I actually have done lots of canoeing since then because I enjoyed it so much. So, so what for you have been one moment that you can just we can just finish on as an example of the impact that this kind of work can do? Anna, you're nodding, so. Yeah, so I think this is both a personal and a professional one, and it's linked back to Unboxed. So one of the Unboxed commissions was Green Space Dark Skies, which was all about raising awareness of our natural landscapes, protecting them and access to them. And I was really fortunate to go along with my son, who is 12, um, the way that it worked, we were called luminators. So we went into an area outside, it was in Dorset, and we had these fantastic um, low impact lights. And we spent the whole day um, at the site. And then we all went up to this really special place at sunset with these lights. And we did a sort of choreographed um, routine, if you like, which was captured on film. And, you know, it, it's there for everybody to see. But for me to see my teenage son in that environment, which let's face it, it's hard to get them, you know, off screens. And for him, it was the perfect combination of tech stuff um, and being outside. And he talks about it now. He said, that's a great weekend. So to me, that's just a fantastic example of how it can work. Love it. There's probably so many, and but just one that's coming into my mind now is uh, that Navigate project. It culminated in us being in a huge uh, tent on site at Bishop Ullathorne Fields. And all of the work came together. So it was um, it was turning the tide. It was a big ocean fair thing. So all of the work that was generated by the children, by the volunteer groups, by our Transformations Young um, uh, Neats group. And there was one um, participant who was on the Neats um, uh, pro programme. Could you just tell us what Neats is? Oh, sorry. Um, so Neats is uh, young people who are not in employment, training or education. Um, one of those participants, he created an environment um, with a soundscape where you um, you sat, it had a palm tree, which um, the Monday Night Makers and the Transformation Group had created. So it was our um, adult volunteers. They created a palm tree with all of these boxes. You sat on a deck chair and you put your feet in the sand. So this had been this one guy's imagination that you would imagine you were on this island and you listened to a story. And the story was about um, how 
um, people on this island only took what they needed and no more. And it was a really lovely story that was recorded with all the sound effects we recorded in schools with the children. They all made all the sound effects with all sorts of found objects. So it sounded like you were in this desert island. And then it was all put together and, and that was the experience of the audience. And it was this one guy, because this one particular participant, before the uh, project, he'd never, he just used to be in, at home. He was he kind of uh, dropped out of education. And so he... In the environment, he was so proud of what he'd done, he was actually operating the sound and handing out the headphones. And this is a person who doesn't speak, doesn't engage with people, um, had overcome a massive anxiety fear to be in a tent with loads and loads of people with this wonderful piece that he'd created with everybody else having created it. So that was a real partnership, but it was also a really lovely moment. And that uh, the Tide event for that whole week, I know, had a massive impact on the local community engaging. I know we, Highly Sprung, had an event there and, and I think there were so many people from the local environment, sort of communities coming in and and engaging in ways that I think, may, I don't know whether you anticipated that the level of impact would be so great, but... but no, the, the, the feedback was phenomenal. Yeah. Like, you know, from it was all families and everything and it was just such a lovely... Um, so many different things from VR to paintings, visual art, giant paintings to um, activities. So Warwickshire Wildlife just was there, Canal and Rivers just were there, but all of the work of all of the young people that culminated, apart from a giant mural which ended up in a school, on the wall in a school, but we had a picture of it. Uh, but yeah, lots of families coming and that was just, and then we obviously we um, programmed Castaway as well and, and it was just such a, a, a really lovely event that people said that what a way for their children to be engage, engaged with these issues, you know, through creative hands-on activity and powered by um, uh, we were trialling solar power to power the whole tent for the whole week you know all the light and sound so that was good as well and an excellent example of amazing partnerships big tick (laughs) Dom your golden moment is going to finish everything Um, yeah I think moments is the right word I think it's a real challenge as arts organisations when you're mostly project funded to talk about long term change because you, you it's one of the really sad realities of actually the way that a lot of artists and arts organisations work is it's just not an option to do something for 10 years or 100 years or whatever. Um, so you do have to think about moments, those moments. And definitely, you know, um, there are some things like the the urban astronaut the first time i saw the urban astronaut and having that there is a, a role of spectacle of that moment of wonder i think and castaway has that same power you know i'm throwing out these highly sprung uh initiatives uh but um but if one moment for me in terms of something that i i help sort of initiate was we did a project with crow recycling a few years ago and again this idea of taking one act one principle one clearly communicable thing and this we had this phrase for a long time of like just one more use like anything if, before you throw it away you've got something in your hand you're going to put it in the bin if you can get one more use out of that before it's part of the journey right and so we we were working with crow who who gather cardboard recycling and we said can you just deliver us a loot and van full of that and we'll give it one more use and then we'll give it back to you and we invited people to <laughs> build car costumes so it had to be a wearable car out of cardboard um coventry cardboard cars the wear your wheels championship and then we built a racetrack outside the transport museum and we had races where people had to wear these cardboard cars 
um, and um, you had to use paper. We, we provided paper tape um, and and glue that was suitable for for recycling. And we had these workshops where people could come and do it, but some people took, did it at home and brought them in. We had different categories. We had a show and shine where we laid out all of the cars and then we had people from the Transport Museum come and judge them. And we had this beautiful sort of day out. We had a whole scout group build one car that they could all ride in together. Um, but so I had this lovely moment in the sunshine of really pushing this idea. And then at the end, we all just pushed all of these cars together in a pile and put them all into the van and they just went off to the recycling. And it's just that one more use moment. Mm. Um, and it felt like a really pure, it's, it just feels like one of those pure moments in the past where I felt like we achieved to this idea of taking that simple action and having a shared moment where we did it together. And even if it was just a moment, yeah it was something that we had together. Yeah. yeah. Um, thank you all so much for your brilliant contributions today. I think you've absolutely shone a light on the power of partnerships and the impact that arts and culture can have on raising awareness and engagement in the environment and also the things that we can actually action and do to make a change. So thank you all very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of CSEP's Brilliant Podcast. We're here to spread the word, bring people together through brilliant partnerships that create more opportunities for Coventry's learning and cultural sectors to work together, to improve the quality of activity and extend the reach and impact of cultural learning for all children and young people. If you'd like to join us on our mission, you too can become a cultural champion. Someone committed to working together to make sure that children and young people have access to arts and culture. To sign up to become a cultural champion or to find out more about CSEP, please visit our website at coventrysep.org.uk or subscribe to our newsletter or find us on social media across all the most popular platforms. To be the first to hear about the future episodes of this podcast, just search for CSEP's Brilliant Podcast in your favourite podcast app and click subscribe. And a big thanks to a brilliant Year 11 student from a Coventry Extended Learning Centre who created our podcast's music with the Coventry Music Hub. Music